My name is Andy. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with attention deficit disorder. <laughs> the first time I started leading Celebrate Recovery at South Harbor Creek Methodist Church, that, that's what you have to do. You have to introduce yourself and you have to say what is it that you struggle with. And I had never had an addiction. I hadn't had a chemical dependency. And I knew I had issues, but I wasn't sure what to share. And so when I decided that, you know, the, one of the biggest issues in my life, if I'm going to be completely honest, is that. And I said it. I, I got the courage. I, we went around the circle, and, and I said it. And this woman across the table burst into laughter. And, you know, to her credit, she had been uh, 10 years sober from a 21-year addiction to meth. And so I get it. That's funny. But she claps her hand over her mouth, and she's like, oh, we're not supposed to laugh at stuff. <laughs> Attention deficit disorder. When you think of that, what do you think of? What comes to mind? What's the image? What's the picture that you get? Some of you get a picture something like this little video. Speak. Hi there. <gasps> Did that dog just say hi there? Oh, yes. My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! <laughs> That's what you think of when people... Attention. We're easily distracted people. We're always squirrels. I just want to say something, and... It, have you, ever, have you ever studied or watched a squirrel? This is really interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. My wife bought me a t-shirt one time. It said, easily distracted. Said, Why not, you know, display your biggest problem in your life across your chest everywhere you go. I looked for a shirt for her that said uh, extremely or ridiculously picky, but I couldn't, couldn't find one. I, I was allowed to share that. <laughs> what is it that you struggle with? You know, everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. I, I have ADD. Let me tell you something about it. There's a difference between multitasking and attention deficit disorder. If you're doing a bunch of things at one time, you get them done. The difference between that and attention deficit is that you leave a trail of things undone, things not done. And so, yeah, yes, can I get an amen from my brothers in the house? So, do you ever see those commercials? The commercials for something, you know, like a depression or, and you're watching it and you tune out until like, you know, the, the side effects come on and like, oh, you could have a severe allergic reaction or you could want to kill yourself. And those are the you're like, oh, that, I don't think I should take that. But one of the commercials I was watching and it was saying, hey, have you ever had that experience where the, the screen in your mind just channels, they, they just flip from one channel to another? Have you ever had an experience where you walk into a room and you don't know why you're there? Have you ever been distracted by shiny stuff? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, that is me, that's it. Oh, attention, to, okay, yeah, I have that. That's me. 
Let me settle it right now. This is how you know, folks. Do you have attention deficit? This is the test. Do you lose keys or do you lose vehicles? It was at the cell block one night when we were doing church in a bar and I walked out and my car was gone. Where is it? Oh my gosh, I called my wife. Somebody stole my car. It was a Geo Metro. They could have just picked it up and carried it away. <laughs> what has happened? 45 minutes. I'm about to call the police. And then I remember. Oh yeah, I parked down at the park and I just walked up to 12th Street. I was at the food pantry the one day. I got pizza for my volunteers. I double parked. There was no parking spots. Put my truck out there, left it running, opened the door, got the pizza, took it in. And then I went over and checked the food pantry. I did check the clothing closet, talked to some folks. All of a sudden, somebody says, Andy, there's a cop out behind your truck. I was like, so I run out, and he's looking at me. He was like, is this your truck? I'm like, yeah. You, why is it out here running in the street with a door open? <laughs> For 20 minutes. I forgot about it. He just gave me that look like, are you kidding me? Took my truck to Erie, parked at Verizon parking lot, went there. This was back when we lived in Edinburgh. Went left my truck, met my wife after work, we went to get something to eat, got in the car and drove home. I'm gonna pull into the driveway, crap. Left my truck in Erie. So I talked to some friends, I was like, hey, can I get a ride? Because I left my truck in Erie and they were used to things like that. So I, they took me to Erie, I went to the coffee shop, my wife got done with work. I said, hey, do you wanna get something to eat before we go home? She said, yes, we went to the restaurant. I got in the driver's seat of her car and we drove home. It would be funny if I only did it twice. <laughs> I get a call from the police. Hey, is this your truck at Verizon? Yeah. You still want it? Yeah. Went in to get my truck and Verizon had paved the parking lot around my vehicle. <laughs> do you do activities that you don't know why you do them? I put my cup of coffee in the microwave, I shut it, and I begin dialing a phone number. <laughs> do you do that? I forget my coat in the winter. I go outside, boy, it seems cooler than when I came in. <laughs> I lose my wallets. My wallets are wallets. They just have my wife's hairband around them now because she won't buy me wallets because I lose wallets forever. So for Christmas, I got a bag of hairbands that said wallets. <laughs> Do you forget your keys? One time I got stuck in the high, about two and a half hours uh, I hit the railroad tracks, um, both wheels, both tires popped, bent the rims, was stuck in the middle of the night, got a ride home, some gracious person came and got me and, and took me home. I had to go back and retrieve my car. 
I got a ride from a friend, a gracious individual, to go drive two and a half hours to pick up my car. And I forgot the keys. And a look that I have seen many times in my life came across his face. Uh, okay. So we went home. Got somebody else to go get my car with me. That's how you know, folks. But it would be funny, and I make jokes about it, it would be funny if it didn't also hurt, if I didn't also let down people that I cared about, if I didn't let down people that they wouldn't trust me to get something done, if I said that I would do it, I wouldn't always do it. When people lose confidence in you, then it affects your integrity and people's ability to trust you. It would be funny if it was always just funny. If people stopped trusting you and said, you know, Andy's kind of fun to be around, but don't give him anything important to do. I took a test one time. It was a test. If you scored, and let's say if you scored a 9 or a 10 on the test, then you don't have attention deficit disorder. If you score 11 or 12, you might want to get checked out. If you score above a 12, then you definitely have it. Do not wait. Do not pass. Go. Go directly to the doctor to find out. And I'm like, what is it when you score double the amount that you should definitely get checked? So I scored 24. I think the test only had 23 points possible. I scored 24 somehow. Also not good at math. It would be funny if it was just funny. But through Celebrate Recovery, I had to own that issue. And we all have issues. We all have things. We all have baggage that distracts us in life and gets in our way of our progress, our pursuit of God's vision in our life. And, and I am not joking. I went on medication. I, I felt like I was really working a program. I got to a place where I thought that I had a good system in place. And so I went off medication. I, I, I began to live for two years. I was off medication. Recently, I've been thinking about getting back on medication because just I began to feel the spiral of things getting out of control. And so I called a week in advance to get an appointment with the doctor. And I went to the doctor and I went there I scheduled that appointment for, for Monday morning at 7.20 in the morning. Let's start the week off right. Let's get in there. Let's see if this will help us get back on track. And so my alarm went off, and I shut it off. And when I woke up, I'll just rest my eyes. When I woke up, it was 7.20. I'm 25 minutes away from the appointment. Ah, I can't go. I have to go to the radio station. And so I just didn't go. I tried to call. There weren't nobody in the office yet just the doctor who's waiting for me. I went to the radio, and then I went to my doctor. I was like, I missed my appointment. He was like, yeah, I know. I was like, can you work me in? He's like, yeah, we'll work you in. I was like, oh, thank you, doc. Great guy, got me in. He's like, yeah, it seems like you do have a problem. I say, well, Doc, you, what you, you, you need to learn about people with attention deficit is when you schedule an appointment for them, schedule two. 
the one they're going to miss and the one they'll remember. And so he put me on medication. I get done with him. I walk out. I see my friend Paul McCosco in the waiting room. I, I talk to him. I was like, hey, what's going on? We get to shoot in the breeze. The nurse walks out with all my paperwork, my prescriptions, and my phone. She's like, you might want to get this filled right away. God's divine purpose and how he designs life that today is the part of the sermon series that we're talking about distraction. And it was the one that I was given. I don't know if that was by design, Jack, but it is the one that I have. But we live not only in minor distractions in life, and maybe you don't have attention deficit disorder, but we live in a society that's full of distraction. Let me tell you, our society has distractions everywhere and it's getting worse. Let's just talk about our phones for a second, shall we? <laughs> Some people squirming. Our society, the average individual right now checks their smartphone 46 times a day. That's the average. From 18 to 24-year-olds, you check it about 70 times a day. From 24 to 34, you check it about 50 times a day. And from 34 to 44, you check it about 35 times a day. And if you're older than that, your, wall still, your phone still sticks to the wall. We live in distraction constantly. Collectively as a nation, we're checking our phones 8 billion times a day. Texting and driving. How many people have ever texted and driving and, and drove at the same time? Come on. You're going to lie in church, folks? It's actually wrong to lie anywhere, just so you know. Texting and driving causes 1,600,000 accidents per year. It results in 330,000 injuries a year. There's 11 teen deaths per day because of texting and driving. 11 teen deaths per day. 25% of all driving accidents are caused by texting in my favorite. You are six times more likely to get in an accident while texting and driving than if you were driving intoxicated. It would be safe for you, for you folks if you left this building today, went to Hooch and Blotto's, tied one on, and drove home than if you decided to text your family on the way home. I'm not encouraging anything. I'm just saying <laughs> it'd be safer. Our distractions are not just keeping us from fulfilling God's purpose in our life. They're literally killing us. We all face them. We all face distractions. And so we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 6. How do we deal with the distraction in our life that we face on a daily basis in a world where distraction is getting worse and worse? In chapter 6, we find Nehemiah 
trying to restore the city that he loves, his home city, the city of God, where God's peace was supposed to dwell, where it was supposed to be a light on the hill to the surrounding nations of God's salvation and peace in this world. He's there with a vision from God to rebuild the wall, to bring uh, the city back to a place where it could be a witness to the world and to make known the salvation of God to its neighbors. And he's working hard, and we find Nehemiah in this place, seeking passionately, going after his vision and building this wall. And we find Nehemiah in chapter 6 with these things. Hold on, I got a text message. Nehemiah chapter 6. This is a long passage, 1 through 16. So if you want to turn your Bibles, turn on your phones, or just follow along with me. Make sure that you're on the Bible. When the word came from Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, the rest of the enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to this time I had not set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plains of Ono. And let me just say, if you're meeting with your enemies in a place called Ono, you... <laughs> Beware. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent, I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down with you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported that the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become the king and, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king, so come let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. I love that. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Meh, that guy, and um, <laughs> was shut in at his house. He said, let us meet in the house of God instead of the temple and, and let, us cause, let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. 
He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet uh, Nomadia, and (laughs) sorry, and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Yule. In 52 days, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. If you're here today and you have a vision for your life, a God-given purpose for you being here. And we're all going to face distractions. Then let me tell you today that if we learn to deal with these distractions, that we can have victory in these things that God has called us to. And we know that they're important. And I love this. How many people here realize that it doesn't matter if God has called you to start a business or, or to run a nonprofit or to be a manager in a business or to run your home really well? No matter what God has, Nehemiah had a construction company of his countrymen and they changed the world. Whatever your God-given vision, distractions will always come at you. So how do you deal with them? Andy Stanley, in his book, in chapter 14 of Visioneering, talks about three main distractions from this passage that I want to cover. One, the distraction of opportunity. I think this is a deceptive one. This is the distraction of shiny things. I wanted to call these three points the three squirrels of distraction. But opportunity is one of them. Good things All of us are busy. How many people in the last week in a conversation with their friends or family said, how are you doing? And you replied, man, I'm so busy. We're we're addicted to busyness. We love being busy. We've got things going on. You don't even know what's happening in my life. I got all this and that. I'm doing all these things. I'm running here and there. I'm busy, man. My life is important. I've got stuff. I've got things going on. Yeah, I can't have time to meet. I'm sorry, I'm busy. Our life is so full, but we don't f- generally fill it with evil stuff. I don't imagine, I mean, there are some people that do, but I don't imagine across this place here that you have your jam-packed schedule of evil things to do. You have a jam-packed schedule of good things. But the good often can be the enemy of the best. A while back, I was looking into getting a seminary degree. And, and I, I've been an ordained pastor for a long time. But in the church that I got ordained in, in McLean Church, we, it was more about provenness in ministry than it was in having a degree. And so I had never gotten a seminary degree. But I was really wanting to get it. And I started to pursue it. And And I thought, I need to have this. If I'm going to be a pastor, if anybody's going to take me seriously, I better have a degree in seminary. I better have their certificate on the wall. And so I started to check into it. 
At the time, I had hired a life coach, and he was talking, I was talking to him about once every two weeks. And I was in a conversation with him, and I told him my desire to do this. He's like, yeah, it's good. He's like, what's, you know, what's that going to cost? I'm like, I don't know, $20,000, $30,000? He's like, okay. He's like, uh, are you good at school? No? Okay. But do you like it? Do you enjoy it? No. No, I hate it. I hate school. I always hate I've always hated school. I hated kindergarten. <laughs> I hated my senior year. I, I hated college. I hate it. I hate school. He was like, oh, okay. But, but do you need the degree? He's like, if you're going to be an engineer, you need an engineering degree. You have to have it. He's like, do you think you can accomplish what God has called you to do without a seminary degree, without spending $30,000, without spending three years of your life doing something that you hate? Do you, do you need it to accomplish the goals that you want to get to? I was like, hmm, that's a great question. I don't think so. He's like, uh, let me ask you another question. Uh, why do you want it? And I wanted it. It came down to my own insecurity. It came down because to, to the fact that when I'm hanging out with other pastors that are really intelligent and really smart, and they turn to me and they say, where did you go to seminary? And I say, Slippery Rock Christian College. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Christian. <laughs> oh, no, I have a phys ed degree. Oh, okay. <laughs> but is that kind of criticism, is that kind of feeling a reason to go after? It's a good thing to get a seminary degree. But it would have distracted me from the goal that God had called me to the city to be the chaplain at the mission and to work and do the things that he's called me to do. Sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. And so what is your vision? What are you trying to accomplish? Do you want the best family possible? Is that the vision? Do you want the best marriage possible? How does Nehemiah respond to his critics? It's not bad to have peace with your enemies, but why didn't he go? What did he say? I am doing a great work. I will not come down. And so when distractions come that come between you and the vision you have for your family, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. When it comes between you and your marriage, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. If God has called you to build a business that reaches people, that serves people, I am doing a great work. If it's a ministry, Hang in there. Do not let distraction take you out. The second thing is criticism. These people were falsely accusing of Nehemiah of something that wasn't even true. But sometimes we handle criticism so poorly. Somebody doesn't like what I'm doing. I hate criticism. There's a time in my life where it was just impossible not to answer it. I felt like I had to explain myself to everybody. And when we did church in a bar, that 
that raised some eyebrows. We got some criticism. So much of the time I felt so insecure because I knew that other people were thinking something about me. It was confirmed to me that that was true. And oftentimes, folks, if you're doing something for God that's a little outside the box, you know who the critics are? It's not the world. It's a Christian. Oh, my gosh. Can't believe that's what he's doing. My dad says that the Christians are the only ones that eat their own young. No, it was, it was church people. It was church people. I was at a lunch with some pastors, and I was describing a friend of mine who had started a church downtown. I was working at the mission at the time, and I was describing to him that he started this church downtown, and they were uh, meeting down on 11th, and he, one guy said, is, is that that guy that has that church in a bar? <laughs> I, I really like that moment. <laughs> I was like, nope, no, that was me. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> There's always going to be critics. The voices saying that you're not on the right path, that what you're doing is wrong. There's always going to be people pulling at you, distracting you. You don't need to answer them. You know how you shut them up? how this chapter or these verses end in 15 and 16. Then we built the wall. That's how you shut him up. In the midst of the criticism, what does he do? How does he respond? He prays. He prays, God, strengthen our hands. And you shut up the critics by accomplishing and staying focused on the purpose that God has called you to. Finally, fear. Opportunities, criticism, and fear. The threats come. Somebody from inside, one of his own people, hey, let's meet together. You know what you should do? Somebody's going to come to, I heard that somebody, I got a rumor that somebody's going to kill you. They're going to come after you. They're going to kill you in your sleep. you got to go to the temple, run there, hide there. Nehemiah, hide there. Your life is in danger. So who, who am I to, to run? I have been called by God to do this thing. Fear does weird stuff with us, folks. It causes us to do strange things, things that we know are not right. It causes us to act in strange ways towards other people. Do not, do not give in to the fear. There will always be fear. Let me just say, if you have a God-given vision to accomplish something in this world and you are chasing it and you're not afraid, then your vision is too small. If it never causes you anxiety... It may just be too small of a vision. It may not be one. Because God likes us to trust him and to have to trust him. If you have a grand vision from God and you're not scared, 
When I was at church in a bar one night, I went out to solve a problem outside. Two guys arguing naively, you know, hey, let's talk it out, folks. This guy apparently had stole this guy this backpack. Oh, well, let's just, let's, well, did you steal it? No. Yes, you did. Okay. So we have a disagreement, I guess. And then this guy, who was about 5'5 and 120 pounds, and this guy, who was about 6'5, 280, starts screaming, and this guy pulls a telescoping steel billy club off of his belt. Let me remind you where I am in the scenario. <laughs> I'm here, little guy's here, billy club here. Just then, the bouncer that was hired by the cell block to be at our services, because things like this might happen, came, be, <laughs> came up behind him and snagged the billy club out of his hand and dealt with the scenario. And now I'm still here. <laughs> There's a little bit of fear. How do you deal with fear? Let me tell you about courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to move forward in spite of it. And God gives you courage. So as we close this today, remember that the good is the enemy of the best. When you're criticized, pray for strength and stay at the task until it's completed to silence the critics. And remember, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Friends of mine were missionaries in Thailand. They were in my youth group. They didn't know each other. The boy, when he got to college, did an internship with me. They met at church in a bar. They started dating. They ended up getting married. I performed their wedding. They decided that they were going to be missionaries in Thailand. They went to Thailand as missionaries. And one day I was reading this very chapter, Nehemiah 6, and I felt impressed to text him to read Nehemiah 6. He called me later and said he has been going through one of the greatest trials of depression he's ever experienced in his life. Stuck, racked with fear, wanting to come home and leave the mission field. His wife was pregnant, and he didn't know that he could go on. And without me knowing it, God knew. And in the midst of that pain and suffering, God spoke to him. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. They ended up naming that child Nehemiah. And today they are back in Thailand serving Christ and teaching people in Thailand how to read so that they could read the scriptures. Folks, you are doing a great work. Do not come down. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. And in spite of all of the things that do distract us, 
We know that your word says in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So trust in him today. God, we lift our lives, our purposes up to you, and we pray for strength. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.